Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. All right, Hoodats, we are back for another edition of Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller alongside Jeff Nowak here bringing you the latest and greatest from your Saints. Another big disappointment this past week 10 in Pittsburgh. And Jeff... I know, I know you're hurting as much as I am right now talking about just some not-so-savory football this season. What are you talking about? I'm having a great time. (laughs) It's fantastic. I love miserable football. You look like you're in mourning right now. Jeff's got a hoodie on. If you're not watching the YouTube version of this, you're just listening. And I feel like almost in memoriam of this season already at at 3-7. and No, it's just cold. It's just under 50 degrees in New Orleans, which which means it's like 50 degrees in my house. That's really the issue. If you don't live in New Orleans and people here complain about the cold, it's less about the temperature and it is about the fact that I can't heat my house. It just doesn't happen. There's no insulation. The heat just steeps out into the world. So it's like either I have a $7,000 electric bill or I just exist in the cold. And so that's what I'm doing. But Anyway, this is a podcast about the Saints, and that's what we're going to talk about. First things first, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, on anywhere that you get a podcast and you are not subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. We appreciate it. If you can leave a review wherever you are listening, I also appreciate that. Or if you don't feel like typing, just leave a rating. Helpful. Always helpful. I I always feel bad when I go on Apple Podcasts and I see, oh, we have, you know, X number of reviews, and then we have this number of listens. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Why not? Why not tell us how much we suck at the very least? Get it out of your system, right? Tell we me are why I'm wrong. better than this team this year. I gotta give. I gotta give us at least that much props. But yeah, so in this episode, we're gonna talk about another person that people need to get it out of their system, and that's Dennis Allen. Who Ooh. you know, there's there's a petition out there. People seem to think that's gonna help, but yeah, we're gonna get into that and why I don't think that it's a realistic. Uh, idea that he's going to get fired this season, no matter how much people complain on Twitter. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into what he had to say. And we also want to get into what a player had to say about Dennis Allen, which, and I think, and why I think it's relevant. Beyond that, we're going to get into the studs and duds. Again, is going to be a lot more duds than studs, but the name of the segment is the name of the segment. So we have to just do it there. And there are a few players who I think had a good day and we can give them, we can give them some props. And then finally, we're going to get into you know, this Jameis Winston versus Andy Dalton debate, some of the confusing messaging that has been put out there around it and, you know, how I think it's going to develop or how we think it's going to develop over the next few weeks. So we're going to get into that. But first things first, pump the brakes. Nothing you have seen from the Saints organization should lead you to believe that they are going to fire Dennis Allen. You may you may disagree with their decision-making. You may think they should do things differently. But this team the team that has had the same general manager for two decades is not firing a head coach. The second head coach he has hired in those two decades, 10 weeks into that coaching tenure, it's not going to happen. Like I get it. Everyone's frustrated. It's not going to happen. There's a petition out there. It's got 4,000 signatures. Whoopee. I'm sorry, guys. You're stuck with Dennis Allen. Just accept it. 
I wonder if there'll be more signatures on that petition or the Latoya recall petition. We don't need to get political here, but at least the recall petition, <laughs> you could have 50,000 signatures on this. Nothing would happen. At least there is a number that if you get to on a recall petition, <laughs> that it would matter and they would actually have a recall. In this case, who knows who these people are? Like, the, I, I'd hope there's a lot more than 5,000 Saints fans, right? Because if you want to look at it that way, the percentage of people who have signed this petition relative to the number of Saints fans is very, very small. Plus, the team doesn't care. <laughs> That's the thing. No right. one voted bottom, Dennis Allen into office. <laughs> right. Bottom line is it's like this is not your decision, obviously. I understand fans' frustrations, obviously. We knew going into this year that Dennis Allen is not Sean Payton, and he does not carry himself that way. Uh, he does not have that same kind of air about him. And I think that's been a big issue as well with fans. They want to see him chewing guys out on the sideline, and that's just not who D.A. is. No, he just has a permanent, like, deer-in-the-headlights look about him, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't think he's a particularly good head coach, right? But well, I think there are... speaks for that, right? Yeah, I mean, he's 11 and 35. Like, I don't think that's a bold statement, right? But... I don't think you necessarily have to be a great head coach to, to lead winning football, right? I've, I've watched Ben McAdoo lead the Giants to the playoffs. Ben freaking McAdoo. You know, actually, if we want to go back down that rabbit hole, he's, he benched Eli Manning for Geno Smith. And at the time, we were like, wow, what a crazy person. Fire him immediately. He's, you know, he's on crazy pills. And then you look at Geno Smith now, and it's like, man, maybe maybe that was the better option. He's maybe they should have right. stayed the course. <laughs> but and this is my thing. It's not that Dennis Allen should be a head coach for two, three years, should be just grandfathered into this position the way he has been. But like, I think people need to just kind of look at the status of a first-year head coach and understand that it's not that just that you lose football games that get you fired as a first-year head coach, right? Like some losses are baked in, like a transition period where there's a struggle is baked in. Like you don't get fired as a first-year head coach because the team isn't good. You get fired if it goes down in flames. It, you get fired if your kicker comes out and says he got kicked by you in practice. <laughs> like those are the type of like crazy stuff coming out of the locker room. That's what gets you fired as a first year head coach. Like people are coming to me and saying, well, Frank Reich, right? Uh, well, Frank Reich was in his third season. Right. It's not like he just showed up and went three and seven and got fired. Like, that's not how things work in the NFL. And as a as a team that is going to want head coaches to want to come coach for you, you can't do that. Like, you can't set that standard where it's like, oh, yeah, you come in and you don't win 10 games in your first season and you're shot out of a cannon. Like, I don't care how many petitions you file and how many signatures you get out of a petition. That's not going to happen, guys. I, I think another problem, too, is the fact that heading into next year, okay, say you fired Dennis Allen right now. I'll say that Ryan Nielsen gets promoted to your interim head coach. And then next year you're looking for your next head coach. What is going to be attractive about this position for someone coming in with no quarterback, no first round draft pick and an aging roster on definitely on defense. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. And, and, and what coach would be like, Oh yeah, you fired the last guy. <laughs> like 10 games in. Yeah. So if I lose if I lose seven games, are you going to fire me, right? So right. essentially, you're setting a scenario where only someone with no options 
Like only someone who is not on the shortlist for any other team. And just Wire, come on it. down. Right. So look at it this way. You know, you look at Dennis Allen's first head coaching job, and he took it because he wanted to be a head coach in the NFL. And the Raiders were like, I know that name. <laughs> and they hired him. But no one was clamoring to hire Dennis Allen, right, at that point. And so that's what the Raiders got. They hired a guy. But, like, is that what you want to do? You want to you hire a guy who no one else thinks is an NFL head coach material? No. Like, that's not going to turn around your franchise either, right? People come and say, like, Jeff Saturday, this and that, this and that. Okay, he won one game as a head coach, and everyone still hates him. Now, wait a minute. If we're, if we're going to fire Dennis Allen and bring in Bobby Hebert as head coach, I'm all aboard then. That would be something. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it is funny that I, I have people coming to me and be like, well, Jeff Saturday can win a game. It's like, you know the team Jeff Saturday beat? <laughs> Hmm. It's the same team that, that a Dennis Allen head coach team shut out. So unbelievable, right? <laughs> I think like I get it. You know, Dennis Da is just very frustrating to watch operate from the outside. But what I what I don't think people quite get their head around is when you're in that locker room, when you're talking to the players, when you're talking to the assistants, when you're kind of just observing how this team is going, the team wants to play for Dennis Allen and, and sure, like maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes that we're not privy to, but when things are going that badly that you're going to fire a head coach mid season, you're aware of it. Like it's seeping out. Like these guys aren't professional actors. They're not spending those 45 minutes that we're in the locker room, like, like guarding themselves. And then the second we leave, they're like, F this guy. You know, like it's not that situation. It's just a team that's not winning games and they have to figure out why. You know, there is a talent deficit and that's a bigger question. But firing the head coach isn't going to solve that question. No, and you, you know, we heard from a guy like Cam Jordan, obviously post game. And I know a lot of it is him saying what you have to say kind of a kind of thing. But he put it as he still believes in the players and the coaches that are in the room right now. And I really don't think he'd be throwing that out there, though, if he didn't believe that. I, I know that a lot of it is just him standing up for this team, but I don't think Cam would put that out there if he really believed that. He's awesome. I mean, um, I've said this a few times about him, but such a great leader of men. Um, he's been my DC since I've got here, and, and now he's head coach, and it's just we're, we're so blessed to have him, um, so blessed to have just the energy he brings, again, the discipline he brings, the um, just the mind that he brings, and um, you know, he, he's challenging us, but at the same time, he's, you know, he'll get that grin on his face. Like, I'm just excited, you know, and you can tell he's excited despite everything that's happened. Like, I'm excited. Like, he believes in the group. He knows what we can do. Um, and we just we got to figure a way to put it together. And, and that's what that's what we're working for. So that was Cade Nellis. You know, one of the super nicest guys you'll ever talk to. Easily. Also, <laughs> great cheekbones. <laughs> <laughs> but. No, and he had a great game the other day, so you know we are going to give him more props uh, in the next segment. But you know, like either you think he's going up there and just lying through his teeth about how this team feels about their head coach, or you know, brace yourselves, he's telling you the truth, right? And so this isn't a team that is fracturing, that is coming apart at the seams. It's a team that's losing football games. And I think losing games at any point in the way the Saints have done it is going to stress kind of all of the pressure points on a team. And you have a head coach who 
I think one of his worst qualities is expressing himself to the media in a way that is not going to fire criticism. He does not understand the tone he needs to speak with, the word choice he needs to operate with. Like he needs a speechwriter because you can be a bad coach, but the way he is, he is exhibiting himself in interviews is just inviting every ounce of criticism. And the way he's not, you know, going out after halftime, after your quarterback throws back-to-back pick sixes and saying, keep doing what you're doing. Like you are a meme and you are not aware of the fact that you are just creating that around yourself. That is his biggest fault. It is His biggest fault is not like not understanding the game of football, not being able to hold people accountable, not being able to devise a game plan. You know, like if anything, his biggest fault is not appreciating the, the deficits within his own team and fixing them. Like not being able to make things work with C.J. Gardner-Johnson, who I came on here and said that was the dumbest thing the Saints could have done and not just try to pay the guy. And now he's got three times more interceptions than the entire Saints roster through 10 games. That's the problem with D.A. And so as long as the problem with your head coach is, is not within the locker room, with not, not in the functional sense of the team, he's not going to get fired. He might get fired in the offseason. He's not going to get fired midseason. You know what? And I, I really don't feel like the team, the, from everything that was said going into this year and even running up to now, just the fact that I think they still give Dennis another season here as head coach just because of what I talked about earlier too about the fact that what do you have on this roster, on this team right now that is attractive for another head coach that is not desperate for a, a head coaching go- job. Right, exactly. Like, do you want you want to bring in the desperate guy? And and keep in mind, if you are cleaning house and you are like, well, we're gonna we're gonna clear the decks and do whatever we have to do, then you're tanking next year anyway. Yeah. So why would you why would you would want to tank and then bring in the head coach? Like you don't want to establish a losing culture with a first year head coach who is then gonna be like, Well, are you gonna fire me if it's that bad? Yeah. Like, so like logically speaking, it does not make sense to fire a head coach midseason unless you have like an interim that you feel like is is a guy you want to get a look at. And I don't know if the Saints have that. Maybe, like I said, maybe Ryan Nielsen. Yeah. But he doesn't have obviously the head coaching experience either. Things aren't gonna get better. The team's not gonna suddenly become more talented than it is. No, and it's not like you know, he's he's running the D line. The D line's not doing anything fantastic this year. Yeah, it's it's not like he's gonna become the head coach and suddenly a quarterback's gonna appear out of thin air. Like it's just not gonna happen. But you know, and I and I think again, you're gonna go into next season, and you're gonna be like, Well, we have a first round pick in twenty twenty four. Right. Maybe that'll be a good pick and you can bring in a quarterback. You can bring in a head coach who feels confident in the quarterback that you're bringing in. And you know, that that's, that's something, but either way, like, and, and this is not, I hope people aren't listening to this and saying, wow, what a ringing endorsement of Dennis Allen as a head no, coach. Right. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think he's necessarily a good head coach. I'm just saying that this idea that they're going to fire him. I mean, you are setting yourself up for even more disappointment than you are already experiencing watching saints games on Sundays. That's all I'm saying. I'm seeing Saints fan for life, and I appreciate the idea. And I've seen it a few from a few folks online right now that the Saints should do everything in their power to try and get Sean Payton back. That's not happening. Why do you think he left? The man saw the writing on the wall here. I mean, yeah. The only good thing is, Jeff, I think that 
right now with all these other teams doing some midseason firings, the availability of Sean Payton to them helps the Saints. Hopefully there starts to become like this bidding war for Payton services. Who knows? There's a, a John Mule is pointing out that Doug Marone could be the interim head coach, which is actually a good sure. point. Right. But I mean, you think that will be better? Like, <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> like, I don't know what coach he would put into that role, but this is not a good football team as constructed. Like, I think that's the, that is the hill that people need to get over is like this idea that this, like the issue isn't so much that the coaching staff can't coach that the, that this team is, is leaving a lot out on the field. It's just not a very talented football team. Like that's there's, there's the veterans have reached an inflection point where they're not able to make up for gaps that they used to be able to. There's not enough young talent filling in. Like one of the reasons you're dealing with injuries, you're dealing with a lot of injuries, but one of the reasons that seems even more impactful, it seems impossible to win is because the players you're calling on to fill in are not players that you feel like can go win football games, right? You had Kevin White out there. You had Kevin White as right. a target. And they stay, Marquez Callaway was surprisingly yeah. an inactive for me that game. But yeah, I mean, you have a UDFA who's inactive. But the fact is, like, the hero has got to be a UDFA, right? I think the issue is the the draft strategy you've implemented over the past five years and the fact that you tried to transition from a gopher broke all in with Drew Brees and Sean Payton and just kind of paper over the holes that you never filled because you didn't have to over those last few years. And so that's my biggest thing. It's like this team needs to be torn down and and kind of rebuilt around the young players that you've brought in. Trying to just say, oh, you're going to change the head coach and suddenly suddenly we're going to have talent at key positions. It's, that's not the case. We're talking maybe about this same kind of scenario next year. And then I, I could see Dennis Allen being let go midway through next season, but it's not happening this year. Yeah, right. And, you know, I think that there are changes you make. And so you, so if you're the GM and you're looking at this and you're going to the offseason and you're saying, okay, well, this didn't work. What can we change to make it work? Like what are, what are places that we can look, that we can adjust and we can do things? And so it's like, you know what? I don't think Pete Carmichael should have been the offensive coordinator. I don't think that he wanted it to be the offensive coordinator. And you are seeing a very uninspired offensive attack. At Amen, brother. Least. Like this is not a creative offense. This is not like you don't want to go full Matt Canada, but you also just like you, you don't do anything. Like have you even seen like an end around? <laughs> like have you seen anything that is designed to like get the defense off balance? Like, it is a very uninspired offensive attack. I'm really surprised, too, because a lot of things I heard from some former players, even a coach, the fact that Carmichael was supposedly this more aggressive play caller than Sean even was, and I just haven't seen that at all. Well, so I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a play calling issue. I think it's a game planning issue. It's the plan you go into the game with that I think is the issue, and you know, I do feel like, to an extent, Pete didn't want this job. Right, and we all know that. It was reported. It's not like that was wrong and suddenly it was like, actually, you know, it was like, no, like, it. The, I think he was talked into it. <laughs> and it looks like it, right. Yeah, and so, like, to me, that's the that's where you try to make changes first. And sure, maybe you do 
fire the head coach and go a different direction this next offseason with an entirely new staff, too. Like, that is another option. But this is not a team that's going to hit the panic button. Sometimes you're just a bad football team. It's natural. It happens. That's how the NFL works, right? Like, you see teams just kind of fall off. They're good for a very long time, especially if you have that quarterback. Look at the Patriots. Are they good right now? Is that a good football team? If Bill Belichick left, do you think that Josh McDaniels would be in a better situation, right? Or or Matt Patricia would be in a better situation? Guys who have failed somewhere else and for some reason get second chances, just like Dennis Allen did? The plan here was that continuity. Obviously, we kept hearing that was a big word for this, te- uh, for this team, for this coaching staff going into this year. And they tried. They tried to upgrade a quarterback, and they they missed out on the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. And you know what? That might end up being a blessing in disguise too. Yeah. And again, like this has been a long rant, but like this is not me endorsing Dennis Allen as a head coach. This is just me saying like I do not see this Saints organization firing their head coach midseason, and I agree with that. Like I don't think that you will be better off firing your head coach, especially a guy who has not lost the locker room, which again, unless you think that every single player is going up there and gritting their teeth and just flat out lying, which right, would we're not, not, we're not having a Derek Carr situation where nobody's melting down at the podium. Yeah, that's true. No one's get, giving you like a, that's my quarterback meme. And you know what? Everyone's making fun of the guy. I feel bad for him, obviously. Yeah, he's in over his head. And, and I, I don't disagree with that. But I disagree with this idea that a coach struggles in his first year and you fire him. And I think anybody you bring in will be like, that's not where I want to be. See, the only thing is people are going back to obviously Dennis's record as a a Raiders coach. And you're saying, look, there's a track record here. And I get that. But to me, there's still no way you're going to make this move right now and deciding to part ways with him. It does does not. And you've said this too. It's it's not going to benefit this team in any way. That's all. And it's like, I see a petition here. Like, that's the thing. It's just like, like, just ex- like, this is a bad football team. Like, you need to look yourself in the mirror and just say it. This is a bad football team. Can they start playing better? Sure. Will firing the head coach and bringing in someone else make this a good football team? No. And so we're going to get into some of the, some of the duds that help wait, wait. this team be a bad football team. I'm seeing Sergeant King. Hold on. I'm counting that money that Dennis paid us off because we, yeah, we're rolling around in some big ducats over here. I wish. Maybe the check got lost in the mail. God, <laughs> I could use some of that some of that Saints money. If Dennis paid me to sit here and say, I don't think he's a good head coach, then you should get fired because that was a bad decision. I don't know why you'd make that investment. It'd be like buying FTX stock now. I think it's pretty clear. Tom, what Thomas is saying there too, just coming in. Sean did more with less. That's obvious. Look at last year. Sean Payton is Sean Payton. Anyway, let's wrap that up. I don't need to go into more of my spirited defense of why you don't fire a head coach in his first season. But we are going to go into getting into more from that Week 10 game. Again, just an ugly game. A bad team playing a bad team and the worst team lost. A battle of the shitty. Yep, that's it. That's inside black and gold. Battle of the shittiest. (laughs) All right, stick around. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. Thanks for everyone who tuned in. Thanks for everyone who's leaving comments and telling us how dumb we are. I live on that type of energy. My name is Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer, alongside Steve Geller, Saints sideline reporter, was on the field for this game. 
he was cold. He was standing in front of the heater. He was probably warmer than I was. It really wasn't that bad, but it did, you know, the there was more chilliness as the game went on because things looked more and more out of reach or for this this team that just couldn't put anything together. Did you get a chance to talk to any of the pigeons? No, but it was kind of funny. I was wondering if the Saints would ever make it downfield far enough to disturb the pigeons from where they were resting. <laughs> That was what I said. It was like, how long is it going to take for the Saints to make these pigeons move? Exactly. I don't think they did. I think I remember who was. I think it might have been Rod Walker who was like, it's like the pigeons knew the the quarter changed because they got they flew from one end of the field to the other. (laughs) A little bit of breaking news. The Texans have claimed former Cardinals running back Eno Benjamin. He was someone that I was actually hoping the Saints might have been in on. Yeah, I will be interested to see if they put a claim in on him. Because, yeah, whenever a guy who ran for 100 yards against you is suddenly a free agent, <laughs> I feel like you take a look, especially when you are a team that doesn't have any young running backs. But, nope, he's going to be hanging out with Damian Pierce. So, yeah. there you go. So, this segment, we're going to get into the studs and duds from this game. And there's a lot of options when it comes to duds. And, Jeff, we, we are even looking for another running back because Jordan Howard's been waived. Yeah, well, they didn't use him when he was out there. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, Mark Ingram's still there. They're hoping to get Mark Ingram back. So who knows? Maybe next week. You know, it's supposed to be a three- to four-week injury. So they didn't put him on injured reserve, which would indicate that they're expecting to get him back inside that four-week window. They don't put anybody on injured reserve, it seems like. Well, yeah, not until too late. Right. <laughs> like, I think they're, they're, they're underestimating the, the amount of time these guys going to be out. But there's going to be a lot more duds to talk about. So we're going to start with this studs. And who is your first stud from this game? You know, with Pete Werner out, I thought Caden Ellis filled in admirably. A guy that, you know, is a a total big motor, a big effort kind of guy. And he kind of lived up to the moment for me. It didn't look like he he was overwhelmed at all, made some nice plays. And I thought even was decent in coverage. He was a bright spot in this game and a very dreary game. He was a bright spot. Um, and it's like you're not displacing Pete Werner from that position, obviously, but you know that's a position where you now feel like you have depth and you have a guy who you can play at Sam, you can play at Will. I don't know if he can play at Mike, but having that type of backup material is is what you want to have at every position. So that's a good thing. You know, I think over-relying on Pete Werner in that role is probably a bad idea. You know, that's a volume position, but... If you can have a rotation at linebacker where you're kind of moving guys around, that's that's helpful. So yeah, I thought he was I thought he was solid. He also forced a fumble, which this team has not forced any turnovers this year. They weren't able to get on top of it. But amazing that we it, it, the ball just seemed to be like lying there and time and space froze and we still can't get to it. Yeah, it's it's the the inability to turn the ball over on defense is one of the strangest things. No luck there at all this year. No luck, and also just I don't think you have anyone who you know, puts pressure on it. You know, like they, they're not good at punching the ball out. They're not good at being ball hawks. You know, they're not in position to make interceptions. I thought Alante Taylor almost did, but then got called for a right. penalty, and he still dropped it. Like it wouldn't even have been an interception if they hadn't made that call. <laughs> so, no, it's Caden. Uh, Caden, I think, you know, he he. He was a big question mark going into that game, and he and he showed up. So good for him. Yeah, you talk about you know a little bit of the last segment. If there's there's guys that are DA guys on this team, I would say Caden Ellis is a DA guy. And he, Caden, yeah, he's, he's in full support of him. He said glowing things about him, and yeah. 
uh, like you said, I don't think anyone's going to go up there and completely just lie to our faces uh, just to make his coach look better, even though he doesn't believe that. So it's and it's frustrating overall. But uh, with Caden, hopefully we get to see even you know more brighter spots from him. I don't think he's a guy you want to see, obviously, in bulk situations and in, in more of these situations often, though. It's kind of like the small sampling of Andy Dalton was great, but too much Dalton is not a good thing. Yeah, that's what I said when they put Andy Dalton in the first place. <laughs> but no, yeah. So let's let's go. The other, the only other player that I can feasibly call a stud in this game is a guy that we we trashed last week a little bit. Yeah, and it's Blake Gillikin. I thought he had a good game punting. Right, like one of the criticisms I've had of him is not that he's you know shanking every punt. It's just that you haven't had those kind of field flipping, like kind of momentum swinging punts. And you had those in this game. Like he pinned him at the 10 on one drive. There was there was a drive in the second half that it was 10 to 10. And he had a 58-yard net punt that did not get downed. It like took a right turn at the goal line and went out of bounds. And you could say it's luck, but he's done that before. We saw him do it twice against Washington last season. But we had to we haven't seen him do anything remotely close to that this season. And he did. And so that was a point in the game when that happened, when he put that punt down there at the two-yard line. I thought, man, the Saints are going to win this game because all the defense has to do is go out there and force a punt and you, you get your offense the ball in good field position. If the Steelers and their rookie quarterback screw up at all, you're in safety territory. A turnover there is points. And not only were they unable to get, get a turnover, get a game-changing play, the Steelers drove 83 yards and scored on that possession. Disgusting. 11 plays. Yeah, I think it was like a six-minute drive chewed up a bunch of clock and was really just demoralizing in all kinds of ways. Yeah. The, the Steelers didn't punt in the second half. Ugh. They missed two field goals. Yeah. What did our Steelers guests call him again? Tomato can. The tomato can. That was right there. There you go. Yeah, he was a tomato can. He, he missed badly. That was the only thing that kept the saints alive. Um, there's a reality where you make a stop there or turn the ball or force a turnover or get a safety and suddenly the Saints have the lead and they have momentum and 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 confidence and they might go and win that game. But the defense just completely folded. And that's what you've seen way too often this season. But again, this is a this is about the stud, and that's Blake Gilligan, who I thought, you know, if he could do that every week, special teams would be back to being an asset. Cause it hasn't been to this point. No, there hasn't been many assets though all year. That's a good point. All right. <laughs> there are a few other guys that we can at least mention. So Jawan Johnson obviously caught a touchdown. I don't want to give, you know, I considered him as a stud, but if you go back and watch the film, he struggled as a blocker and everyone struggled as a blocker. So it's not all on him. Adam Troutman didn't block well. The offensive line didn't block well, but he did catch a touchdown. He has been an asset in the two minute drill. The only part of the offense that's looked good has been the two minute offense. So he gets at least an honorable mention stud in this game. Yeah, I, I think there's at least been some in you know production from Juwan and has made himself a little bit, you know, a question mark in fantasy football, even uh, because he's he's even had those late garbage time scores for this team. And you know, in fantasy, obviously it's all about getting into the end zone. And for whatever reason, he's he's getting those targets at least. He's leading the team in touchdown catches. That's wild to think about, right? At four. And at and at tight end, you could do worse, right? Like, uh, once you get past like the first three or four, everyone is a touchdown dart throw, 
and that's what he is. Uh, anyone else you want to mention before we move on? No, I'm ready to get on to the duds. All right. Who is your first dud of this game? I'm giving it to the entire rushing game because you have 15 carries, 29 yards, 1.9 yard average per carry. You can't tell me this is all on the offensive line here. Well, I mean, not all of it, a good portion of it. I mean, you couldn't block DJ Watt all day, but no, I mean, they're we have more success doing like Andy Dalton QB sneaks. That is true. You could probably average better than two yards of carry if you just did QB sneaks the entire game. Or Taysom QB power. I don't know. Well, so that's, you know, when I went back and watched the film on Taysom, he 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 did not handle the rush well, you know, and I, I think part of it is he didn't trust the blockers in front of him, but he was, he there was the first run of the game. He it looked like he had his blocking, his blocking held up. It was power guard pulling a power run to the left. And he cut back to the right where he had no blockers, um, and it just looked like he just didn't trust the people in front of him. And, you know, that's, that's on him. There was another play that he completely missed Alvin Kamara on a, on a, uh, an option route that, yeah. you know, Alvin might still be running if he had hit him on it. He didn't play well. Alvin, you know, it, it's, it's frustrating, but one of the reasons that you can't, that teams are typically not going to be over-reliant. They're not going to overpay at the running back position is that it's a position that, it's very difficult to be dominant in if things aren't going well around you. Like it's not like there every now and then you'll get an Adrian Peterson who can literally just elevate a team and put the team on his shoulders. It's difficult to do that. And that's what you saw in this game. Like he didn't touch the ball. He didn't make an impact. And you're, he's your legitimate star player and you need more out of him. So in the sense that the running game struggled because of the offensive line, sure. He didn't make an impact in any way. Yeah, and I, I felt like I almost jinxed the team with the fact that heading into halftime, I was all like, you know, I, I haven't had to hang out at the injury tent at all this game. Hallelujah. And then when the team was coming back out for the third quarter, all of a sudden you didn't see James Hurst with the team anymore. And not after that first opening drive, the media relations guy on the field let me know. It's like Hurst is out for the rest of the game with a concussion. And I was like, so now you're out three starters on that O-line. Yeah. It, it, you couldn't get a, a much worse scenario, especially being on the road against a team that just had – they got their star back on defense, and we just had really nobody up front anymore. Everybody – it was just decimated. And keep in mind, Landon Young isn't even supposed to be your backup left tackle. Yeah. <laughs> He's supposed to be your backup right tackle. Lewis Kidd is just supposed to be your backup left tackle, but he was in the game at guard. So – you know, not only is he a backup who's in the game, he's a backup playing out of position right next to a backup guard who is standing next to a backup center. <laughs> yeah, not ideal. Yeah, that's rough. And, and you know, hopefully hopefully you can get Trevor Penning back soon. And, and, you know, I think if nothing else, he'll be an asset in the run game that you haven't had. Yeah, they could use somebody to help grind out some, you know, things up front. We know he's, quote unquote, this mauler. Uh, and has to refine his pass tech, you know, his pass blocking more. But, you know, talking to Penning in the locker room last week, it seems like his trajectory, his trajectory is going in the right direction. Things are positive there. I don't know if he'll be ready for this week, though. Yeah, he's close. It'll be interesting to see if he's at practice. He still hasn't got a practice in. So until he's able to get a full yeah. week of practice, I don't think you'll see him in a game. 
But if he's able to get three full practices in, maybe you do see him on Sunday. And, and partially because you need the bodies, right? Like in a perfect world, you wouldn't have him back just because you're still working him in. Like he wasn't ready to start week one. Right. So he's not going to be ready to start week 11 have, having not gotten any reps at all, but you might need him. And if he's healthy enough to go, maybe you do put him out there. I don't know, but that's something to watch. Let's let's move on to the next dud. Um, this is a guy who I know people were excited to see. They were excited that he was out there at all. It's wide receiver Jarvis Landry. And he did make a couple catches in this game. He had a couple nice moments. But when you go back on the film, I don't know if he's 100% yet from that ankle injury. And maybe he's not going to be 100% at any point this season. But you really needed him in this game to be an asset in the three-step passing game, right? The quick passing game to get the ball out of Andy Dalton's hands. And he just wasn't able to create separation. Like he wasn't able to make those violent cuts. He's a very similar receiver to Michael Thomas, right? He's not running away from anybody, but he makes violent cuts and he can create quick separation and quick release. And he wasn't able to do that. And there was a lot of plays you watched Andy Dalton, like wanting to fire it off the three-step and just having no one to throw it. And, and that's a product of, I think, his ankle not being 100%. There was a block he tried to throw earlier in the game that you know he just got completely beat on. It looked like he was limping a little bit. I don't know if he was hopping because he was mad, but he didn't look right. And you know, it was you needed him back in there. You needed him to be effective. And I just don't think he was. He was also, he got called for an offensive pass interference. And I think that's partially frustration, right? When you're not able to generate space, when you're not able to create separation, you end up pushing. Like you, you have to do something else. And I think that's what that was. Whether he was fouled or not, he was able to get a hand on that ball that got tipped for that first interception. This is a guy who excels at making one-handed catches, so he's not going to use that as, that as an excuse. He wasn't able to make it. You needed more out of him in this game, and you just didn't get it. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that he's probably came back a little sooner than he he should have. That was the case, obviously, when he got hurt in Carolina, came back in the London game, and did further damage to that ankle issue. And he was a guy I just recall seeing even the Monday night football game. He was there, you know, on the sideline with a headset, um, you know, working with the coaches. And you could just tell how anxious he was to get back on the field. And I, I respect that part, obviously, the heck out of Jarvis, that he wants to be out there. He's trying to get, you know, even if he's less than 100%. And it, it, but, yeah, if it wasn't like he was doing anything that was – over the top for this offense right now. And, you know, I expected his presence to help out a guy like Chris Olave even more, and it didn't even seem to have that much of an effect. I'll say Olave had a decent game, but nothing that was spectacular in Pittsburgh. No, and he's not going to be on, you know, on my stud line because he had a chance to make an impact in that game, and he was not able to. There was two plays that he got hit and dropped the ball. Yeah. Right. Like there were catches to be made there. One was a deep ball. I think it was third and seven. He just went up. It was similar to that, you know, 50 50 ball that they threw to Kevin White at the end of the yeah. game. And he just he got his hands on it, but he wasn't able to bring it in and and control it to the ground. You know, you watch you watch Justin Jefferson go up there and make these insane one handed catches like should be impossible. It's like, you know, at a certain point, the receivers need to bail out the quarterback. Right. Sometimes it has to go the other way. Sometimes it has to go. You know, all you can do is give a guy a chance and hope he comes down with it. There was that play. There was another one that he made a catch. Then he took a big hit and he dropped it. 
it was a 15 yard penalty. So it didn't end up hurting him, but you know, it should have been like a 30, 40 yard gain. And instead it was a, it was a 15 yard gain, but he's, he's excellent. He doesn't have enough help. And Jarvis was a guy who you hoped would be out there. I don't know why they preferred Kevin White over Marquez Callaway. I'm interested to hear from Pete Carmichael on that one because, you know, Marquez is a guy who, if he's the target on that, on that deep shot, I think he goes up and catches that ball. What I had a problem with, too, with Kevin White on that play, he didn't fight for that enough. No. Um, it, no. it was just like you, you need to, you know, go all out. And even when they were on the ground, he kind of just was like, oh, well, the other guy's got it. Well, it's got to be it, like it's either a catch or an incompletion. That should never be an interception. Right. He got two hands on it. The other thing he did wrong, which, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough criticism to make, but he is staring that ball down like for 20 yards. Yeah. Like, and, and I get it. Like you got to track the ball, but it's like, okay, you look, you see it's coming and you turn your head and you, you can't just allow the defender to know the ball is coming. Like that's an interception, not because he didn't fight for the ball. It's because, well, I mean, that's part of it, but it's also because the defender was able to turn his head, reset and leap by the time the ball got there. Like a lot of times when you see an underthrow deep ball, the way you had there, like that's not the worst thing in the world. Like, cause the offensive player is just going to stop and go up and assuming they don't give the game away, the defender's going to run through you. Yeah. Because they can't stop their momentum like that. Right, but because that he turns exactly. back so early and is staring down the ball, the defender's like, oh, okay, turns around, and he plays the ball better than Kevin White does. And so, like, yeah, so Kevin White's on that line too. But I think I said this before. If your expectations are as low as I have for Kevin White to begin with, it's hard to call you a dud because – why were you there? Why were you put in that situation? So that's on the coaching. And we've talked about this before. It's like we're we're stuck with the same group of receivers that we were last year kind of deal. And we, we know how that went. And it just, you know, not not having some guys like a Michael Thomas, obviously, around. It's it just it's made things a lot more difficult to get the ball down the field. And Kevin White, I, I don't know why he was put in that situation at all, honestly. He was on the field a lot. When I when I saw him targeted on that play, I was like, wow, weird. Why is he even on the field? And then I went back and I watched the tape. I was like, oh, he's out there a lot. I, I don't well, – let me look up the snap counts. Um, he must be a Carmichael guy. I don't know. Well, I know they like him on special teams. Like, that's why you keep bringing him back, and I understand that. But he was out there on offense quite a bit. Yeah, he was in for 31 snaps on offense. Like, he was in for almost 70% of the offensive snaps. That's wild to me. And that that's not I can't be good. And I just what happened? Was it is there an underlying issue with Callaway? Something happened that they decided to move on from him there? Well, I think it's part of its blocking, right? Like I don't think Callaway has been blocking particularly well. And I think Kevin White, you know, for all his faults as a receiver, he is a good blocker. He is a very good athlete, so he can do those things. And I think that's part of the reason it's tough to get Rashid Shaheed out there. Because he is this, you know, little frail guy, <laughs> and he's not a guy you expect to go block anyone. It's the same issue you have with Chris Olave. So, you you know, this is a team that relies heavily on their receivers blocking in the run game. You're going up against a team that you know you're not going to be able to block with five offensive linemen. So you need a little more from that position, you know. But like, so where's Traquan Smith? Right, like Traquan got seven snaps in this game. He's been a, yeah, and he's been 
pretty much a non-factor all year long anyway. Yeah, you, you paid to bring him back, but now you're using Kevin White. And, and that's the thing. Even my own logic doesn't make sense because the whole reason you brought Traquan back was everyone says it. He's a great blocker. Great blocker. So in this game, are you playing Kevin White for his blocking? It can't be for his hands. So no. I don't, I don't like that bothers me. No, the, and that, like I said, that whole scenario, because I happened to be on the field and the the play, the interception occurred right literally in front of me and just White did nothing to fight for that football. No, I mean, he went up for it. He got high. Like he got up to the point that he should have been able to take that ball out of his hands. Like I've seen Jamar Chase do that, right? Like he's that type of athlete. Like there's a reason he was a top 10 pick. He is an incredible athlete and like the height to which he jumped is absurd. He just couldn't catch it. (laughs) And so, yeah, like you make your bed with Kevin White and that's what you get. And I, I, I feel bad because like Kevin White, I think he has done everything that's been asked of him and his role is as a special teamer, a quality special teamer and a blocker. And instead you're asking him to go up for a 50, 50 ball on third and nine in a pivotal moment. And you get what you should. I mean, you should have been able to see that coming. Disappointing, frustrating, whatever you want to say. And like, I I don't want to trash Kevin white, right? Like, like we know at this point in his career, the the player that he is, and it's not a player who you should have put in that scenario. Moving on, a couple more. I thought Demario Davis was a dud in this game. You know, we, we were talking last week about, you know, him as a pass rusher. He has been very good. I think that was still the case. I think he was able to pressure this game, but he missed multiple tackles. And you can't do that. Like Demario Davis in his career, I've never felt like was just not tackling well watching him. But I did think that in this game. He just got outflanked to the edge on one play. Like he he was just like holding and he just got beat. It's like, what is happening? Uh, so I thought he, I thought he was disappointing. Yeah. I, I mean, Demario is definitely one of those guys that's obviously one of your key pieces on that defense and uh, a leader, but it's, it's hard to really pinpoint, I guess, anybody having specifically a standout, terrible game on that defense. I just felt all around, there was a lot of missed tackles. I don't know who, you know, would be the the biggest culprit right there, but it just seemed that that's a huge issue that keeps popping up. And I don't know how you can fix that mid season. No, no, just because we're going long here. Peyton Turner and Carl Granderson, I thought also disappointed me in the sense that they kept losing contain on their rushes. And that's why Kenny Pickett was able to escape the pocket so many times. And like, these are game changing type plays and you just need to be able to take him down in the backfield on that first touchdown. Like, Kenny Pickett was down, it was dead to rights, but Peyton Turner tried to like scoop inside. And it's like, no, just hold your rush outside. And he has nowhere to go. Instead, he he breaks it out and it's he throws it out of bounds. But instead of second and 17, it's second and 10. And they convert first down, they score a touchdown. So that was disappointing to me. Yeah, I thought Peyton Turner was one of my guys that we were talking about pregame. I thought was going to have a breakout kind of game for this team. I thought he was going to be able to get to Pickett, harass him a lot. That just wasn't the case. He continues to be an unfortunate disappointment. Uh, I I don't know what else you can expect from this guy that was a first-round pick now that just does not seem to be living up to those expectations. I think he's a player that you like the traits of, and he just hasn't been able to play enough. You know, he's still, what is he, in his eighth game of his his career, right? Yeah. Like, so it's not like he's, he's in game 20. 
he's making rookie mistakes in year two because he hasn't been there. So, but there know, should be a little more consistency from him at this point. I mean, I'm not expecting you have to play to be consistent. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't, I think he's playing like a rookie. He's, he's, he had the type of rookie game that I think Alante Taylor had in this game, which is just, you know, penalties being out of position. You know, we, I was very complimentary of Volante for his first three weeks. I think he kind of, he took a bit of a step back in this game. The whole team did. So it's like, you can't really blame a rookie specifically, but the penalties, there were six penalties that gave an automatic first down and the situations they happened are probably the more annoying bit. Like second and eight, you have a defensive pass interference call. You know, that's a down where if you force an incompletion, third and eight, you feel like you should be able to get off the field. But hey, third and eight, roughing on Cantavia Street. That's another down you should be able to get off the field. They scored on that drive. Second and nine, you have a defensive pass interference on Paul Adebo. Again, it's a down where you force an incompletion. Suddenly you're having them play behind the chains. Well, not quite behind the chains, but you get the idea. There was one on first and 10, which doesn't really change it. Second and seven, you had a hands to the face call. Third and five in the red zone, pass interference, which I think was a questionable call. Um, but, you know, like those all, those those were all impactful. You know, multiple, at least four of them were on drives that ended up in the end zone or with a field goal. He did, so, uh, Taylor did have a heck of a lick on the tight end. Not Fryermuth, but it was one of the other tight ends on Pittsburgh. That no, I think it was actually on. Pickens. I think it was Pickens on that play. Okay. You know, he, he had some nice plays. He wasn't all bad, but there were bad moments, you know, and there was too many of them. But again, he's in his fourth career game. So you are in a situation where you are relying on him in a, you know, more than you probably should be. And, you know, after you get exposed enough, people are going to start taking advantage, right? Like it's he's not a tough though too, because I mean, we're seeing these other teams uh, like I'll say like a Baltimore Ravens squad that was limping in to that Monday night game with so many injuries, but yet they were still able to piece it together, obviously, and still look pretty dominating in that game. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to cut this off so we can talk about another team that is limping in, which is the Rams and which quarterback is going to be the one that faces them. And will it be the one that might still be limping himself? (laughs) You're listening to Inside Black and Gold. been doing as well in the last couple of weeks and so I think we got I think we got to evaluate that I think that's something that we need to look at yeah and James is a candidate yeah to be ready to play I believe so welcome back into our final segment here on Inside Black and Gold Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak and that was Dennis Allen talking about who could be playing quarterback this week will they stick with Andy Dalton under center or could this be finally the return of Jameis Winston. I know a lot of folks, a lot of Saints fans clamoring for that. I think even a lot of, you see folks in the national media wondering, when is Winston going to reclaim his spot? Yeah, and I mean, even with Dennis Allen's own caveats, it would not make sense to keep going to Andy Dalton because the whole premise of starting Andy Dalton, or at least sticking with Andy Dalton, despite Jameis Winston being, as Dennis Allen put it, healthy was that the offense was moving and now the offense is not right. And well, whether that's Andy Dalton's fault or not, right. I think that you could make the argument that when you're 
playing behind an offensive line that's, you know, basically just like a patchwork quilt, you're not going to have a lot of success regardless of who's in at quarterback. But you think that you can at least be a little more explosive with Jameis. And so to me, that's not the biggest question. The the only thing, though, that obviously we've talked about this too in the past, the biggest concern with Jameis coming back is then suddenly the lack of use of Alvin Kamara, but not like that's been a huge factor these past two games. Yeah, I mean, if that's your biggest criticism, then what happened is, you know, he had, what, 11, nine touches in this game, 11 touches? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, if they were playing every game like it was the Seahawks, like at this point, you have only seen this team and this offense be successful winning games as long as Alvin Kamara goes off for three touchdowns, Taysom Hill goes off for four touchdowns, right? The games where Andy Dalton was successful moving the offense that kind of got your offense into the top 10 were Arizona, where you were behind by two scores, right? Minnesota, where you were playing from behind, you know? You know, the fact that DA is saying that they're evaluating it is more to me a question of, is James healthy enough to play? Because while DA went out and said, okay, he's healthy on that conference call when he was trying to say Dan, Dennis Allen, I'm sorry, Andy Dalton is the starter. Like he wasn't healthy. When I said earlier that like he does not understand how to, how to express himself to the media in a way that's not going to invite criticism is he was saying that because he doesn't want to be asked questions about Jameis Winston's health when he is declaring that Andy Dalton is the starter. So he's saying he's healthy, but what he's really saying is he's healthy enough to play. But because he said it the way he's saying it makes it look like, oh, did Jameis is just not able to outplay Andy Dalton. It's like, no, even if you had put Jameis Winston in at that point, his health would have still been a question. And every time he took a hit in the pocket, you'd be like, uh-uh, you know? He won't be as mobile because he's dealing with the foot thing. So you just, he made Jameis look bad for no reason. And that's like, if again, like my biggest criticism of Dennis Allen is he just doesn't understand. He can't like put himself in the shoes of someone who's listening to what he is saying. And, and so, and he backtracked on that this week. What's disturbing though, too, with this coming into this week is, all right, say we're going back to Winston as QB1. Well, who the heck is he going to have at offensive line right now? probably have to visit with him a little bit in terms of that or visit with the medical staff in terms of that but and I think Jameis said this the other day I don't know that he's ever going to be a hundred percent healthy this season but he's in here every day he's in here every morning working with the trainers getting himself ready and and I feel like uh, he's closer to to being there right now suddenly six weeks later five weeks later oh we're still trying to figure out whether he's healthy enough to go come on and I think a lot of what this is, is one, he has to get Jameis to be like, yeah, okay, I'll go in there. <laughs> you know, so he can't, he can't declare that Jameis Winston is the starter until like you, you kind of agree on that. Jameis is like, yeah, I, I can do this. Well, cause Jameis could easily say, you know what? No, my back is fractured. I have a, I have a ruptured tendon in my foot. I no, I'm not going to play through this, right? Like he was willing to play through it in weeks two, week two and week three. And one of the reasons that he played through it in week two was because he really wanted to play against the Bucks, right? Sure. Like he was, has been open about that. He probably shouldn't have played through it then. And I do think that part of this from Dennis Allen's side of things is if he puts Jameis back in there and suddenly we start talking about the fact that he was never healthy enough to play in weeks two and three, those are questions he doesn't want to get. 
and that would have been the case whether you put him back in in week five, whether you put him back in in week seven, whether you put him back in in week 12. And so that's where I think we're at right now. And he just has to figure out how to go forward. So you can't make it out to be anything other than it is. Like Jameis Winston is the best option. And it's a question of whether he's healthy or not. It's the same thing that was true back in week seven. Well, and you you pointed out this fact. It's like, does he want to come back? And I'm sure he does. I understand. It's like, well, you look at it, no Mike Thomas. Jarvis Landry's banged up, obviously. He's not, he's clearly not 100%. Uh, you still got questions at the tight end position. Uh, the uh, running game is a mess right now. Mark Ingram could be back. Maybe not. There's, you know, issues with the offensive line are the biggest one right now where three of your five starters are down. And that's that's not a good recipe for a guy with a back and, and foot issue right now. No, and so I, I, I disagree with you on the fact that it's like the biggest question isn't does he want to come back? I guarantee you he does. Like yeah, he right. wants to play. The bigger question is, is it in his best interest to come back, right? Like there's no way he is as mobile as he would like to be with the foot issue that is not healed yet. You know, I'm sure it's healed enough that he can play, but it's not healed enough that he will feel 100%. He does not have the weapons that you thought you would have. You will not have the offensive line that you thought you would have. You're, And then, okay, oh, who's coming in town? Oh, Aaron Donald, a guy who would would literally stomp on your throat uh, <laughs> if it meant you were going to fumble the ball. Yeah, I don't think there's any part of him that's going, nah, I'm, st- I'm good on the bench, coach. No, he wants uh- to play. There's a reason the injuries got worse is because he wanted to play the buck so desperately that it was like, yeah, give me extra padding. Right. And, and I think that that was a mistake on the medical staff's part. That was a mistake on Dennis Allen's part. Like you have to be like, no, you can't play through this, but you know, Jameis really wanted to play that week of practice leading up to the Bucks game. I would I would hope at least convince the coaching staff he was good enough to go there. Yeah, but I mean, there's a big difference between being healthy enough to play and being injured enough that you should sit down. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, you brought Andy Dalton in for that exact reason. And the frustrating thing is this season went off the rails, not because you didn't give Jameis a chance. It's that you didn't use the premium backup when you should have. And then, you know, so Jameis is back injury, right? Like if you go and you just play Andy Dalton in week two, and then, you know, who knows how many weeks it'll take him to get better from that. But like, there's no quarterback question. You're just playing and you're coming back. And now it's like, you know, why would, why would you put yourself through that when you were told that you would not lose your job because you sat down and you got healthy and you ended up losing your job anyway? Like, you would have to be the like ultimate team player to be like, oh, so you screwed me over and now you need me to come to the rescue because you're not getting it done and you need to make a change. I don't know. I think Jameis will do it. I think if he is asked and he'll he'll say, yes, coach, I'll go play. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know? agree. There's no way he's going to pass an opportunity up to get back under center. No, no. Well, I mean, it's like he's he's a team player. He wants to do it. Um and that's and the what, thing. Like, I don't, I don't get this. Like, this constant stream of negativity around Jameis. Like, he wants to play and he wants the team to win. Whether he can, he's able to drive winning is the question. But he wants to be in there. And I think if this team can convince him to go play, he'll play. And 
I just the question is then are they going to be good enough to win games? And I don't know. No, the the biggest thing to me too is like you got a guy that has been dealing with back foot issue, and now you have an offensive line that you just called it a patchwork. You know, it's put together right now with a bunch of backups instead of your starters. I, I don't know if Hurst is going to be back from a concussion. You know, who knows how long he'll be in that protocol, but that's, you know, that's another big question. We know Eric McCoy's not going to be back. And who knows with Andrus always injured Pete? No, I think uh, it's a it's a big question. And, and well, you know, we go back to that Tampa game. And to me, the, the season totally went off the rails with week three with that, the losing to Carolina. But I, I definitely vividly remember in that Tampa Bay game, there were chances for Jameis to take off and rush for a first down. And you could tell there was that hesitancy there to do that because of the back, because I think he ended up hurting the ankle in week two, right? The foot, the foot issue happened against the Bucs? No. Oh, no, he had, that was also week one? No, yeah, 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 yeah. So the foot issue happened in the preseason. Really? Okay. The injury occurred during the joint practices with the Packers. That was the initial injury. Now it got better, but he never got completely better. And so he hurt his back against the Falcons. Right. And then against the Bucs, I believe it was in the third quarter, Re-aggravated he ruptured that? a tendon. Okay. And it was the same tendon he had hurt in the preseason. And so it was the same injury. Like it was, it was a, an injury, and then it never got 100%, and it, then it got worse. And then he tried to play through both the back and the foot injury in Carolina. Yeah, that was which- miserable. That's the game. Like you can, you can at least say like, okay, he played through this back injury against the Falcons and he played well, he won that game. And so you're like, okay, you know what? If he says he can deal with this and it's just a pain tolerance thing and he's willing to play through it. Yeah. Okay. You know, I I get on board with that. This is a big game for him. He really wants to do it. Week three in Carolina, no way in hell should he have been allowed, not asked, allowed to play through those injuries. Those are significant injuries. What's wild, too, is that week one win at Atlanta, he came out the injury tent, then sparked a comeback. That's that's unbelievable right there. Well, right, right. And, I mean, like, that's where I think you see, like, the confidence in saying, okay, yeah, he can play through this. He's willing to play through this. We're going to let him. Right. You know, once you saw how things went in week two, and he wasn't effective, like, it's not like he was effective with those injuries. He was ineffective with those injuries. And then you had him play again. And that's just that's just foolish. Like, no, if you want to make a case for firing Dennis Allen, that's the case. Not the team's playing bad. It's that he has mishandled injuries at every turn. Yeah, it's been pretty brutal. And I know we saw Michael Thomas, you know, retweet something about the the Bills and how they handled things with Dennis uh, – with um, Josh, Josh Allen. Allen. I almost said Dennis Allen. With Josh Allen. And then he goes, that's how you do it. He also retweeted um, Cooper Cup, who uh, is not going to play this weekend because he's on injured reserve. He had a, he's having ankle surgery, the tightrope surgery. Um, so he's not going to be there. Right. And I think he retweeted that where he where because Coop, Cooper said like, oh, I'm th- thankful to have such a medical staff that's looking out for me. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I mean, that's not good at all. Mike is not so subtly throwing the medical staff under the bus. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Like, that's where I am the most critical, right? Like, you have bad seasons. Things happen that you can't control. You can control how you react to injuries and how you handle them internally and externally. And that has been botched at every turn. 
from day one. From back, like even go back to Minnesota. You sent Jameis out there for a press conference in London, and and he says I'm going to be out there tomorrow, <laughs> and then he's not. Like that's how little control you have over the messaging, over just the decision making. That's a problem to me. Like that is a problem. Yeah, I agree. That was I mean that was just wild because poor. Pete Carmichael had to address that the next day because uh, that was the day that Dennis yeah. didn't talk to the media. Because Pete Carmichael talks on Thursdays. And yeah. Right. Winston wasn't out there. And it was like, so Pete, what happened to Jameis? <laughs> yeah. No, and it's like, and, and, and at first you're like, oh, maybe this is a smokescreen. Maybe this was all planned because Sean was always a guy who would smokescreen you. Like Sean would actively make sure you did not have the information because it was an advantage to him. But that's not, I don't think that's what's happening here at all. Like, that's what I assumed it was at first. But now it's like, no, this is just mismanaged. Like, this is just not knowing the, the information. Like, yeah, that's what's really weird, too. I agree there. It's like, it doesn't seem like the head coach knows what's going on. Well, like, yeah, like that was the thing with Mike Thomas, right? Like, he went out on a Monday and said, we're expecting to have him back this season. And then on Thursday, yeah, he was saying, oh, he's going on injured reserve. And so it's like, people are like, well, why is he lying to us? Why is he telling us information that's not true? And like, no, 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 no. He's not lying. He just didn't know. <laughs> and that's worse. Yeah, exactly. Because if your head coach lying, doesn't know, like, what's oh, this going guy on? has a plan. No. I guess we're not helping the case for keeping Dennis around for this season. Well, no. I mean, like, again, <laughs> that whole 30-minute rant from the beginning is not an endorsement of him as a head coach. It is a takedown of the idea that firing a guy midseason is good for your franchise because it's not. No, I, I agree totally there. I don't. I don't see the the benefit right now. Uh, I, I don't know if you're going to get any kind of added spark from this team with letting Dennis go. It's it's, it's going to set the franchise back as a whole. To- is what I see. I mean, it's set back. It's set back either way. And I just think what you would the message you would be sending by firing a guy midseason is not worth what you'd be getting by doing it um and not giving a guy a chance to to turn things around i know people don't want to hear that i know that you're hopeful that everything will fix itself i don't think that's going to happen but yeah I, i i think if you have any hope for this season it is that you know maybe you put Jameis in there people can rally around him right like, and he becomes like, you know, I don't even know what, what the word for it will be, but like, there will be kind of just this, this emotional wave that you can ride because you have a story and you have a rallying point and, you know, maybe that's what you need. You know, you need the tip of the spear, right? And I, and, I mean, Jam- Jameis is still trying to prove he's a starter in this league. Yeah. So he's yeah. got something to prove. Yeah, and he deserves the opportunity. He didn't get it last year because he got hurt. And he shouldn't lose it this year because he's hurt. But again, my biggest question is, is he healthy enough to play? And does he think he's healthy enough to play? And uh, that's, I don't know. We'll, we're, we'll find that out this week one way or the other. Maybe he'll be healthy enough after they face Aaron Donald. <laughs> yeah, Aaron Donald being there doesn't help. So then you run out to San Fran and you have to deal with Nick Bosa. <laughs> then you go and you play the Bucks. So are, what do you think? Because I'm at this point. Are we past the point of going, you know, there's still mathematically 
you know, uh, 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 able to get the NFC South? Are we finally past that point now? Are we just really just trying to pick up the pieces and finish this season out on some kind of high note and not being delusional about winning the division? I mean, I'm past the point where I'm going to talk about it like a realistic possibility. But I'm, I mean, from a, from a team perspective, you still have to operate as if you have a chance because you do. And you can't trade people. The trade deadline is gone. Right. You know, like the question of whether you're going to play for a chance at it, it's not whether you want to or not. It's A, are you going to trade off pieces which will, which will indirectly make it so you cannot compete? Or B, are you going to actively try to increase your draft pick? Neither of those things apply right now. So whether you think it's realistic or not, you're operating as if you're going for it. So, yeah, I mean, if you think Jameis gives you the better chance to win, then you put him in. Then that's the case up and down the roster. The frustrating thing, and I said this after the game, is you wish that you were in this situation, you could be like, well, okay, young player A, let's give him a shot. Young player B, let's give him a shot. And there's no one that you can point to that isn't already getting that shot to begin with. That you no, can- and I think you've brought this up before, too. There's no... This team's not tanking. They're not going to – the only thing tanking does is help the Philadelphia Eagles out right now. Yep, the fighting CJs who lost. There's no more undefeated teams. Miami Dolphins, I always hear that popping the champagne about an undefeated season. And it's wild to think that the Patriots pulled that off but couldn't get the job done in the Super Bowl, which is amazing. So I'm going to call this out right now and tell you that it's incorrect. Jeff Graves here. Sorry, DA never announced or said – Winston was healthy. He simply said that going with Dalton was an offensive decision. Now, I'm going to see if I can find that clip because he specifically said, yeah, objectively, he literally said that he's healthy. Right. Um, they were sticking with and- Andy because the offense had been successful. Yeah, he said that too. Just so we're, we're clear here, when you say you're going to continue doing that, you mean continue doing that even when Jameis is back healthy? Well, look, Jameis is back healthy right now. We're going to go with Andy uh, as we sit here right now. And if we continue to play well offensively and move the ball offensively, Andy will stay in there. He said, no, he's healthy. There's no question around it. And I think, again, this is not DA trying to be a trickster. This is him not understanding what the impact of that comment is going to be. Because anyone who kind of thinks about it for more than 10 seconds will be like, Okay, if I say he's healthy right now, everyone's going to run with this and say we are benching Jameis, fully healthy Jameis Winston, for Andy Dalton. And then the reality is we are, yes, benching Jameis Winston, but he's not fully healthy. Part of the reason that he wasn't on the field to begin with was that he's not fully healthy. So the reason you're saying it is because you don't want to field questions about his health every week. And that, that I understand. But it is a little odd, too, that he's healthy enough to be QB, two. I mean, he's healthy enough to make it so you are not going to carry an extra quarterback on the roster. That's what that means. He was healthy enough to go in an emergency situation. Right, because Taysom Hill is there too. So it's like he's healthy enough that we don't need to keep Jake Luton on the active roster. That's what that means. Right. That's it. We'll get more Rams coverage, though, later in the week. Uh, We'll be interesting to see that, you know, this team just won the Super Bowl last year and they got the struggles of their own. Yeah, I'm sure whoever whoever we get on to talk about the Rams will be just as exasperated as we are. Yeah. Hair will be sticking up in just as many directions as mine. Maybe they'll they'll join us too in a hoodie. Or a hat.
That's what I assume. Like 90% of the time people are wearing hats just because their hair looks weird. That's pretty much for me. It's like, ah, I don't feel like doing anything with it today. I'm just putting a hat on. All right. Well, this podcast is going to be a nightmare to edit. Thanks for everyone who who stuck around through the stream of consciousness nonsense that we just threw at you. That's the name of the game, baby. Make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. We are getting ready for another fun, fun week talking about Jameis and talking about the Rams and talking about all this good stuff. Uh, Steve, any parting thoughts? Uh, just that we only have three more home games left, believe it or not. And then... Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, what are we going to see from the team the rest of the way? I, I, I'm questioning, obviously, uh, looking looking anxious to see what's on the injury report for this week, who's coming back and who's going to be uh, you know, still out for this squad. But obviously, a dangerous Rams team coming in. Another team... That's been not living up to expectations, the quote unquote Super Bowl hangover. And who knows who's going to be under center there with Matthew Stafford still in the concussion protocol. Yes, sir. And uh, as as one of our listeners just commented, go Pels. All right. Yeah, but you know what? Zion's hurt already again, too. He's got an ankle issue. That's another guy. I love Zion to death, but he can't stay healthy. He's a big dude. He jumps high. That well, that that sucks. He plays basketball. Well, what would happen to you if you just spent your entire life jumping off a ladder? <laughs> it would not be pretty. <laughs> yeah. All right, y'all. Be easy. Peace.